Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Footballistically, Arsenal is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. Hello and welcome to Footballistically, Arsenal. I am Boyd Hilton. Sidekick Josh is sitting next to me. This is our first podcast for about two weeks, isn't it, Josh? Three weeks. Three weeks. That time has mainly been taken up by indicative voting (laughs) and um, boring international games, with all due respect. But Arsenal are back. Arsenal have made more progress than on the voting. Arsenal made so much more progress. Um, Third in the league, ten home league wins in a row, etc. We're going to discuss all of these things. We've got two legends... Derma is back. Sure, Derma O'Leary is back on the present podcast. company. I'm not sure. You, I, I could be come on, legend. That's very you are a broadcasting you. legend. Um, welcome here. back, Derma. Thanks. Uh, long nice. time no see. We were at the game last night. Yeah, it was, it was a great was, game. It was a great game. It was wonderful. Wonderful performance. And a true, actual, genuine living legend, Gary Lewin, who was Arsenal physio for 22 years. Yep, yeah, that is a long, long time. <laughs> <laughs> I just associate whenever I, I just associate you with that job. I know, like your cousin took over yeah. um, at a certain point, but having you know gone to matches since I was teenager, going to the George Graham years, the Bruce Rioch, and then also, I just you were always there in the dugout while I was watching the team. So you're like I, your face is like completely connected to Arsenal. Yes, for me. yeah. I'm not sure you, that's good or bad. But no, yeah, it's great. I, I know it's what you're very saying. good. Um, I mean, I had the time of my life to think it was 22 years. Um, it just first of all flew by, but. When you've got a passion for something, and I'm sure Dermot's the same with the work he does, yeah. when you've got a passion for it, you don't realise how involved you are in it, and time sure. just flies by. And we had some fantastic years. I was very, very lucky and quite humbled to be involved in really two eras, the George Graham era right. and then yeah. the Arsenal Wenger But you came era. to the club in 1980 to start with, no? I was a goalkeeper, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was. Uh, I signed for the club in '78 as a 14-year-old, and um, in those days they didn't have academies. And so what you did is, until you were 14, you played for anyone you wanted. So mm. I played for West Ham, I played for Arsenal, I played for Fulham, but I was always an Arsenal fan. Although I came from East Ham, and my family are West Ham fans, I rebelled as a kid. Yeah, and um, and I signed for Arsenal um, in '78. Um, I signed apprentice forms in '80. Was that Terry Neal? Or? Terry Neal yeah. was the manager. Bob Wilson was the goalkeeping coach. Bob ended up being my best man at my wedding. So, yeah. Wow. And um, I got released in 82 um, as an 18-year-old. Um, and then probably got the best advice that I will ever get and I've always be thankful for was Fred Street, who was the England and Arsenal physio at the time, said, would I be interested in going to physiotherapy? Because I'd made the decision I was going to come out of professional football. I had some offers to go to lower leagues. But in those days, a lot of non-league players got into the, back into football. So my, my plan was to come out of football, play non-league football, get qualified in something, mm-hmm. what I didn't know at the time, and, uh, and then hopefully get back into professional football but have uh, a career alongside that. And uh, Fred 
got me to go up to Guy's Hospital to meet the people up there, and um, I got the interest in physiotherapy. Wow. So that's brilliant. I went Good. to Barnet for a year after that and played non-league football for Barnet. And then, in goal, uh, yeah, in yeah, goal. No. Barry Fry was a manager. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, see, yeah, yeah. now you talk about legends. That used. must have been entertaining. Yeah. It yeah. was. It was. Yeah. We're going to talk more about your incredible career and Arsenal memories and all of that. But we should touch upon last night's game. So do you? Do you, do you have to go to? You're still. Season I go, I'm still. Older. I'm season tick older. I go to most games. Um, unfortunately, now that I have to earn a living in the private sector, I, I was in clinic last night, so I couldn't make it. But I managed to flip my last patient to finish a bit early, so I run in <laughs> after about five minutes. To Coming. watch it, um, I go to the occasional away game, but I go to as many games as I can. Yeah, and what? So you saw you saw most you saw the I game, saw the game last TV. night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we thought. I think Darren and I both thought it was such a. It was like just dominated the game. Yeah, I think the first half stat was like seventy four percent of the play. Um, and you know, Newcastle defensively are a tight mm. unit, aren't they? Mm, They're yeah. kind of you know, yeah. and we kind of breached that defence but I think you know they had a disallowed goal which I felt mm. was slightly harsh on what you think and yeah. I just thought the whole performance was just so mature and also skillful and smart and it just felt like a real move on well, I think me. one of the biggest things that hits me this season more than anything is that we have the ability to change a game so even last night at 1-0 it was a bit nervy mm-hmm. although they didn't create a great deal you're always worried that they're going to break away and get a goal against the run of play but then he throws on a bombing and changes the formation yeah. and suddenly we look lively again. And uh, yeah. I think we've done, they've done that in quite a few games this year where you, although the, the game's going reasonably well, we have the ability... Tottenham at home was a classic for me. Went 2-1 down, yeah. changes at half-time, completely changed the mm-hmm. complex of the game and we looked a different team. And uh, I think that's really exciting from my point of view that we have the ability to do that yeah I agree it's incredible isn't it like the flexibility is, I, I, is extraordinary I think from a fan's point of view there's still and certainly the fans around us there's still there's a hangover there about and you'll, you won't find a bigger Wengerite mm. than me but mm. there's a hangover in terms of the fragility that we associate with the late Wenger era or some mm. of the players mental fragility mm. mainly of when we we're always a mistake away from from yeah. having a goal and then falling apart yeah. because of yeah. uh and so I think that, that hangover is almost still there. Mm. And it kind of frustrated me a little bit last night because I thought we were so we were totally dominant in that game. And yes, you know, Mustafi can always be, you know, uh, guilty of just a tiny lapse in concentration, although he had a pretty good game last night. Yeah, he did. Was, uh, and I think Papa's really come into his role now. And so I think we just look defensively very... I mean, I'm a big fan of Maitland-Niles to be one of my players of the year, but I think just, just defensively we looked pretty, really solid last night. And it, it kind of it irks me when fans around me are kind of, are give, kind of giving out. We're having a very, very good season this season. Mm, yeah. And, yeah, I know we've got some tough game, away games. We're not particularly good away. I know we've got some hard away games to come. Or you'd, on paper, you'd say not, but actually, what did you say earlier on, Josh? It was like we're the, the, well, highest the highest place, place team we've been is Bournemouth, is Bournemouth, away from home, who are 12th. Yeah, I still think we can't look at this year so far with this guy's first season and not think of it anything other than the good year. Yeah, oh, completely. I mean, he, he's, I think you're right about all, in all kinds of ways, but I think the pragmatic approach that he's got, that the changing of the formation, yeah. the team selection, you know, you, 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 he, you don't know who he's going to play from one minute to the next. I mean, it's exciting. That's what you, I think you used yeah, the word, yeah, Gary, yeah, exciting as a yeah, fan. Yeah. Just, it's just so refreshing yeah. that, you know, I think the team feels refreshed. I know we've had periods where, you know, we play, there was a period in the middle of the season, wasn't there? After that run, we were on that yeah. long run, unbeaten yeah. run. Yeah. And then the foot, people were complaining about not having an identity and the football got a little bit... Well, I think we got killed by Liverpool as well, didn't we? Right. And that yeah, kind of great reality exactly. check that, we, since that then, we probably, you know, we're always going to get and we probably need it. Yeah, and and Liverpool, got, by the way, for me, are the model. Yeah. Because we are not Manchester City, no. we are not Chelsea, no. and we're not Manchester United. Mm. Because we don't, we, we don't have, a, we don't have a, an owner that wants to pay the same wages and transfer fees yeah, as those three clubs. We're not owned by a country, to start with. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're not the biggest club in the world, financially, even though I always say Real Madrid or Barcelona are bigger than Manchester United. Yeah. And, you know, and we're not owned by... Uh, well, we are owned by a billionaire, but we're not owned by a billionaire that was played with the... Yeah. With, with the we didn't spend any money. With the same way of Brambridge. Yeah. So really, Liverpool, we have kind of... Liverpool for us at the Litmus, that's mm. where we should be aiming for, of paying, paying to get good players, but 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 players that are motivated and not crazy transfer fees. Yeah. And you look at and for, for, so for an Arsenal fan as to where we should be, we are three years behind Liverpool realistically. Yeah, and 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 you know the Klopp model in comparison to the Emirates mm. model, and that's where we should be. So 
as far as I'm concerned, I, mean, I always thought he had a free hit this year anyway, but I think we're, we're pretty much on track. Yeah, I mean, the only, thing I, the only thing I would add to that for all the years that I got, I was, I've been involved in football, the biggest change for me in the last three or four years is teams used to be judged at the end of a season. And then your season will be judged upon how you finished, how mm. you played, the players mm. come through. In today's football, because of social media, because oh, of yeah. TV and everything else, you're, you're judged game to game. And that has such a big effect within the dressing room. Does it? Um, because it's this pressure. And then the crowd gets tense. And you mentioned the thing about how our crowd gets tense about us conceding goals. Um, but we went through episodes where we did concede soft goals. I think Southampton away was a classic mm-hmm. for me. And that, that tension builds up and you can feel it from the crowd and it does get into the team. That's, uh, that's such uh, a good point, yeah. Because... Uh, and again, whereas before it wasn't so judgmental, right. as I said, from game to game to right. game. Well, you only need to see how football managers get a sack now. Yeah. With, with this kind of mythical, yeah. you, we'll get a nine-point bounce off the back of this. Yeah, yeah. Gary, yeah. Gary you, you talk about the effects of social media, but do you feel that the fans have changed at Arsenal? Like, you were there for all the years at Highbury, and then we've gone to the Emirates, and you're yeah. there as a season to get yeah. older now. Do you feel that the fan base is equally as supportive as it was? <laughs> that, that's a difficult question to answer, because in the good old bad days of Highbury of 38,000 where you had that core support that were two metres away from the pitch looking over the moat at every game <laughs> um, to go to a great stadium which when it was built was the best stadium in the country um, to have suddenly 60,000 people a lot more corporate and also going into a stadium of probably the most successful eight years the club had had in its history doing the double in 98, doing the double in 2002, Invincibles 2004, there was almost this expectation of the fans, okay, entertain us Mm. and we're going to win everything. And it didn't really come... And it it was a transition. I mean, I I remember going into the Emirates and it it, it did not feel like... I mean, I left in 2008 and it was beginning to feel like a home ground. That was two years after we'd gone in there. I uh, thought the club uh, got the move wrong in so many levels. Not, not, not from a football point of view, yeah. but culturally. Well, again, I, think it, I don't think it'd be done at that, at that scale. Mm, I mean, clubs true. have moved grounds and struggled, <clears throat> but not from 38 to 60,000. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of mistakes were made by all different areas within the club. But mistakes were made due to laughing the lack of experience right. in that sort of move. Um, I mean, even even I was involved with the England squad when we moved from the old Wembley to the new Wembley. Now, that's a national team. Mm. Doesn't have the same sort of fan base as mm-hmm. the core fan base. Mm-hmm. It's a national fan base. But the change in the atmosphere in the stadium going from the old Wembley to the new Wembley, and it wasn't a bigger capacity. It was about the same was phenomenal. The change in the, the, the sense of when you walked onto the pitch was a massive change. And, and the Emirates was the same. And it took them a while to adjust to it. Yeah. And I think it took the fans a while to adjust to it as well. And there's also, wasn't there, the, the sense that um, they were using the building of the stadium as the reason why they weren't spending more money on transfers and stuff. Which so it almost became like, slightly, you felt as a fan, like, oh yeah, we re- moved to this really brilliant new stadium, but it's also affecting our... The, the future of the team and the future, and I felt that well, I always thought that was a bit annoying that they kind of used that as the reason. And I, and I always thought, yeah. well, they could have spent more money than they did. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I've got a slightly different angle on that okay. after being through it so many times. In it, it, it used to frustra- uh, frustrate me as a fan working in a club like Arsenal, seeing what other clubs did regarding spending money, mm. and as though money was going to guarantee success. And one of the, the strong things I felt about Arsenal in all the years I've been there is the players that come through that have that passion for the club. Um, that core is, I mean, 89 was the classic for me when we had seven homegrown players in the starting 11. Um, and that passion for the club was, was immense. Um, I think that's gone out of football completely, not completely, but across the board at all clubs. But Arsenal always maintained that even if we weren't bringing players through our academy at 13 and 14, we were still buying players at 16 and bringing them through so they had, they had that passion for the club coming through. 
Whereas going into the new stadium, the expectation, as you said, was, OK, great, we've now got a massive stadium, 60,000 fans, we can now afford to go out and buy the best players. Mm. Well, that doesn't always work. It, 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 it's got to be about teams and, and building teams slowly. Also, we've um, never been that club. So, so just because we're changing stadium, you're not going to change no, the systemic no. culture of the club. No, exactly. Um, and I think it is a weakness of the club in mm. today's game where you need money to buy the best players. But I also think it's a strength of the yeah, club yeah, yeah. because you keep that core of the club inside the club and what's happening now for me is like it's kind of proof of that that actually yeah. e- even with a squad like I was watching I was watching it back after we were at the game on Sky and Jamie Carragher was saying he feels our squad is like sixth really mm. in the list and you know, that, the fact that we're third now we may not end up third yeah. who knows we may end up sixth but it shows that you can if you can operate at a higher level with the players we've got with the squad we've got we've got some brilliant players but it's like a mix isn't it I, I do feel what, like I'd rather what, have this mix oh, 100% than, I do feel Sorry to interrupt. You. No, go on. <laughs> no, no, but I think in, in comparison to the last couple of years with potentially disruptive elements in the dressing room, and obviously, you know, there's fans, yeah. you've no real idea what you're talking about. You're just you're picking up on vibes or what you mm. read in papers or whatnot. But I don't feel as a fan this team has liked each other as much as this group right. of players that, like each other for a very long time. Yeah, it feels like since, a unit. Since kind of on re era, really. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. They feel like they've got each other's back. They really do, yeah. Like, and even when we weren't playing so well, yeah. I still felt like there, there was, a, there was a, zembl- a semblance of a unit there and they seemed to enjoy playing with each other. Well, the biggest thing for me was the Tottenham game. Right. That's the most passionate North London derby yeah, I've that seen was brilliant, wasn't it? Yeah. since the Henri and Vieira days yeah. when it, it used to be a real head-to-head. Some of the battles at Highbury and at White Lane we used to have. Yeah. That's the, f- the most passionate North London derby I've seen since then. Yeah, it was, it was... And you could actually feel it coming from the pitch into the crowd. Yeah, that felt like a historic day at the, at the Emirates, didn't it? It was well, such a well, brilliant yeah, occasion. For, well, for me, for derbies, it's often the crowd that, 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 that stimulate the players. Mm. But for me, that second half when we come out and we went, really went for it, it actually was, worked in reverse. It got the crowd going for the first yeah. time for a long time. What have you made of the way he's dealt with? Because obviously, you know, it's like we're now playing with Ozil and Ramsey. Played yeah. last night. Ozil, man of the match. Although I yeah. think we 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 thought Gwendouzi was oh, brilliant yeah. last night. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, he's got some criticism early in the season for not playing them all the time, particularly the Ozil position. But I feel I feel that he's, as a man man management, he's been proved right because he played really well last night. And in, in his post match interview, I thought it was really interesting. First of all, his English seems to be a lot better. Mm. I think now in the last two weeks, mm. three weeks, and he seemed to be saying he's he's doing what we need him to do. Ozil playing. Tactically, as we need him, playing for the team and all of that. So it feels like that's worked now, that he's, he's playing really well. But again, um, I think the biggest thing for me coming back is that he's changing the way the team play depending on who we're playing and how we want to play. So last night, he obviously must have thought before the game they were going to be sitting back as they did. Yeah. So you need the Ramses, you need the Ozils to, to, to break them down. Right. Um, and he, he's not scared of changing the team, mm. either before a game or, more importantly, during the game. If he feels it's not working, mm. he'll make changes. And, and you can sense that doesn't always work, but at least you feel as though something is happening to change the course well, of the game. you felt like you were watching the same movie quite often uh, under Arsene because you, because you believed in his players so much yeah. and he believed in the model so much that he genuinely thought that something would come good <clears throat> and then he'd go on 70 minutes. It felt like he was just thinking, yeah. well, I better put some fresh legs on. Yeah. But the same system will, will yeah, kind yeah, of, yeah. you know, the, the beautiful game will, you know, and the, it, which is why I, I sort of, I love him so much in that in that he you know, but his model and I read that in you know the Invincible book, the Amy Lawrence book, mm. sort of proved it in my head, which is that he needs a certain sort of player, and those certain sort of players are once in generation players because yeah. they need to be yeah. emotionally like uh, intelligent, and they, mm. you know they need to be adults before they yeah. are adults, really, um, which traditionally footballers aren't. aren't no, they? no. They're, they're, you know, um, but Emery seems to like you said he makes those he makes those, like it, it's not uncommon to come back out. You know, after a cup of coffee or beer at half time, and come back and go, oh, so and so is off, and so and so is on. Yeah. That never happened under Arsenal. Yeah, no, and that's just and that's just mm. in, that's just yeah. different. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah it was interesting, wasn't it? Yeah. What did you what, what, as as what did you make of the fact that the the, the, the perception that Wenger was always the 65, 70 minute substitute man? Uh, yeah, something I can't argue against <laughs> because I think it's yeah, I think it, it's it's quite factual. Uh, Arsene, Arsene, and I think it was the reason why players loved him so much in that he had great confidence and loyalty to his players. Mm. You could argue at times too much. Mm. 
Um, but when you're on the inside of the camp, you, you, it's very difficult to um, underestimate how important that is within the camp. And in the years when we were really successful, the Invincibles year and the double year, there was times when that loyalty and faith in the players won us points because the players sensed it. Um, in the last few years, um, obviously it hasn't gone quite as well, but again, you're comparing teams that are spending 300 million, 400 million, 500 million on players that are world-class players. Um, and we could argue as we're well. We'll be competing with that. Yeah. yeah. You could argue as well that look, even when we were, you know, we were conceding those goals and we looked mentally fragile, Finger never turned on his team ever. Oh, and no, you compare no. that to someone like Mourinho oh, and God, how the no. wheels of that bus came off, you know. Yeah. That didn't he didn't even need parking. Yeah. There were no wheels on it in the first place. Yeah. But, you know, but, yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? How yeah, that... I feel like Marino was the kind that was about him and his ego. Well, wasn't he, it? It was never... he genu- genuinely turned on his players. Yeah. And you know, turned on, mm. it, in Pogba's case, one of the best players in the world. Yeah. And in Shaw's case, one of the youngest players who probably needed an arm on his shoulder. Well, publicly, it's never been documented of what effect going into the Emirates had on the finances that Arsenal was working mm. with. Because he would never, ever go on the board or go back to the board. If you look at his quotes publicly, it'd always be, I work within the budget that we agree at the start of the season. And he would never, ever show any disloyalty to the club or the board. It was always, these are the players I've selected within certain criteria. We didn't go into what the criteria was, um, but he worked within the means that he was set by the club. Old school. Mm. I remember talking to one of the players who was there in that first season. We moved into the Emirates. Yeah. I seen from the players' point of view, they did know. They, there was a reality to the players that there was a financial constraint, mm. that some of the better players might be moving on, and that, that was re- going to be the reality. So well, that, inwardly, it, they must have yeah, well, that That would have come out because you had players at the time that were coming to the end of contracts. Yeah. And so the, the club would be negotiating <coughs> new contracts. Sure. Now, that goes around. The players talk. They might not talk figures, but they would know what the criteria or the bands that the club would, are prepared to go up to. And since we've gone into them, for the first four or five years, we lost a lot of world-class players. Um, some could argue at the right time, because did they go on and do better, bigger and better things? The, the debate's still out there on that. Um, some didn't go on to any better things. It was the right time to sell them. Um, but the, the, restri- the strengths that were put on to him, I believe, because of going into the new stadium, um, would have actually restricted him on, on who he could get, when he could get them and how much he could pay for them. But you would never read that publicly. No, never in a million mm. years. Because that's wonder, the sort of guy he was. Do you think he'll bring up... I, mean, I want to read his book where he <laughs> finally addresses... Do you think he'll ever do that? Or do you think he's so kind of dignified that he, he, he will never expose all that? Oh. I think he would never expose or hang people out because he's too dignified. Yeah. But uh, as an economist, he will come out and say these were the facts of right. what we went through. Right. Interesting. I, I wonder with the book if he's waiting because he spoke about his desire to have another job, so maybe he feels it would be writing the book too soon. But I, yeah, hope, well, there's a, I hope there's a book to come. Yeah, I mean, I we'd, what, we'd be queuing at midnight yeah, to get yeah, yeah. to get a copy. We'll talk more about Arsenal past and present um, after this quick break. Footballistically, Arsenal is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. And we're back from the break. <laughs> Exciting Ladbrokes developments, Dermot. Go on. If you download the Ladbrokes app and play 1-2-3, a free game where you have to predict three correct Premier League scores, if you get all three right, you win £100. If you get one right, you get a free £2 bet, and two correct for a free £5 bet. Terms and conditions apply. I don't Josh. understand any of that. No. Terms and conditions apply. It's amazing, though. Our friend Steve bumped into the game last night. He uh, went to a stag uh, um, at Villa Park, and two of the guys, uh, Russell, the guy who was getting married, is a big Villa fan. They got a box for the day, and two of the guys had like an, like an eight kind of point bet. Team accumulator. Right. Yeah. But it was like corners substitutions, goals, and, and they put like 30 quid on. And for it to all come in, they needed eight corners. And about 83rd minute, the eighth corner happened. And they, they 
Bucks made 30 grand. Apparently they were absolutely, the place wow. was rocking. And everyone's looking at him going, it's just a corner. Why are you celebrating so much? And these guys are going crazy. Well, it was incredible, that wasn't wonderful. it? An amazing stack. Before we go into your glorious career and, and yeah. some memories, what do you think? We're third now in the league, which I think, uh, for me, that is, I'm already absolutely thrilled and pleased. And if, if we, I mean, it's going to be very tight, isn't it? We've all got all four teams, mm-hmm. we're commi- three teams we're committing against. All four of us could win or lose games. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, and even if we finish sixth, I'm still happy for, for me because we're competing right till the end, I think, in the, to be in the top four. If we get in the top four, I'll be, it'll be a massive overachievement for me. Do you think we, can, we will stay in the top four? And how big an achievement will that be? I think we can. At the start of the season, I was talking fifth and sixth. Mm. I didn't think we'd get in the top four. Mm. I think we've got a realistic chance now. Obviously, the five away games, it's a concern, (laughs) but I think there's no reason why we can't. At this stage of the season, it's about grinding out the results. And the teams we're playing against, we're playing against four of the teams that are going for that Europa Cup place, which could probably go down to seventh in the league now. So um, that means they're going to be hard games, but... Every, every game now, we've shown that we can win them. So my view is I think the two home games will win. The five away games, if we win three of them, I think we're getting the top four. And that for, me is, that for me is doable. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Oh, I think, confident? Yeah. I think there's more blood now, that, that group of players. Yeah. And like Gary says, I think if we're playing against teams that need to win and need to attack, it's we play very exactly, well against yeah. teams yeah. like that. Yeah. And I tell you, I, what, the thing that's really struck me this year is, is how hard that front three work. They mm. work so... I watched it time and time again mm. last night. They put pressure on those defenders and, and then the balls are given away or clearances are fluffed and then we're getting the ball back in midfield. We just look like we're hungry for mm. it. Mm. And I think that coupled with a good run in Europe, it'd be wonderful to win that trophy this and year. And I also think that the players that you can bring on I mean, you can play Aubameyang and Lacazette together. Yeah. You can bring one of them on. You've got Mkhitaryan that came on late last night. Yeah. You're bringing those sort of players into the last 20 minutes of a game. Yeah, it's that, pretty good. And Ramsey is... want to leave on a high, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Ramsey was playing brilliantly, yeah. yeah. Jamie Carragher last night on Sky said he thinks that he should, that, that um, Lacazette and Aubameyang were so good together, and I think um, Andy Cole was on as well, they were mm. both saying that he, they think that he should try and incorporate them both into pretty much every game, which I've been saying, I feel that way. But do you think? Can you see tactically why he well, wouldn't necessarily do that? You, you beat me to it. That, that's the. That's what I said earlier about him. He thinks through tactically mm. every game, and he'll be thinking through what we play this way. He plays Iwobi quite a lot because um, his ability on the ball, probably his defensive capabilities, are, are better, and he's thinking that through all the time. Um, so again. It's an easy thing to say you've got to play both of them because they're yeah. great players. Yeah. But you've got to think about the team you're playing against yeah. and what formation you're going to play and what other players you've got in the team. Jamie Carragher also said last night he thinks Arsenal won't get in the top four. Did you see that after the game? He said Spurs um, and Man United, he feels. He did say that, four. yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I think, think Everton, I mean, we'll come on to it maybe. Everton on Sunday, that's just... yeah. Go win there and you make a statement and I think it would be real arse to throw away. Go and lose it and you put in the fear that, you know, it's not only this season we've been quite below average away from home. It was last year as well. So you've had a group of players who have had, you know, probably what, eight league or nine league away wins over the space of almost two seasons. It's not, it's not too many. But you're also counting Tottenham going into the new grounds not going to have an effect on them. Yeah, anything could happen with Which that. Which what we said earlier at the Emirates yeah. definitely had an effect on us. Yeah, I think our yeah. first game at the Emirates we drew with Villa 1-1. Villa 1-0. Yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah. Do you know any of this current crop of the, this squad? Do you... Do you um, um, so the players there that I would have worked with, funny enough, Danny Welbeck, Welbeck um, yeah. from England. Um, oh, I hope he comes back. Yeah, mm. sorry, he's um, because he's almost back in training now. Yeah, he's almost back in training now. he's me is what Sturridge is to Liverpool. He's a he's a yeah. player now that I'd want to be. You there. I want him in the club. You will not meet a nicer guy, yeah. a better professional, but more important for me, a better person to have in the dressing room. He he's fantastic. I was so pleased when they signed him. Yeah. We were on England camp when they did the medical on him and everything. So it was, it was. I was pleased he was going. I think it's got. Gave him a bit of stick at the time. I must admit. But, yeah. <laughs> um, so of the others, no, I think they've they've all come in after me. I mean, I've obviously I've met a few of them through Colin and 
and I still go into the club a lot. I and you still touch with like Steve Bold, for example. Oh, Boldy, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I worked for six months for the Arsenal women's team oh, yes. because yes. I did a maternity uh, <laughs> cover for the yeah, physio and, they're brilliant. Yeah, and uh, yeah. they've picked up well this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And um, so I had six months back at the club, which right. I loved every minute. My, to my question, do you, from like Boldy or, you know, Danny Welbrook, would you get a sense of what they th- thought of the new manager? Like, you know, generally. I would say no, because you don't... It, it, from the outside looking, you think, oh, people get a sense, they get a feeling about... Yeah. But it, that's not something you really discuss. It's, mm. it's so result-driven mm. that that's all you end up talking about. And um, so... I think what has come across to me from people I've spoken to is how hard he works, right. how methodical he is, how thorough he is, and how professional he is around the place. And um, and I think that has been shown on the pitch this year as well. Yeah, yeah. Because everyone knows, seems to know they know their jobs. Right. They know what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Whether they actually do it, that's, yes. that's a technical thing. But they actually know what they're yeah. supposed to be doing. Yeah, like as that said on Sky last said on Sky last night, he made them watch loads of videos yeah. of Newcastle yeah. defending, yeah. and yeah, he almost know. said it grudgingly. He did a bit. Like, yeah, it was yeah. quite interesting. Yeah. Well, again, I mean, that was going back to Arsenal's time. That was you could say it was a strength, you could say it was a weakness. But Arsenal had great faith in having players in the team that understood the game and would manage the game themselves. Um, so you didn't necessarily do a lot of video analysis. You didn't do a lot of prep. Yes, you analysed the opposition you were playing and you might change, tweak the tactics a little bit, but Harson's belief was our players are the best players hmm. and good players. I remember, I remember one, one thing um, when Colo Torre um, made his debut at Chelsea. Do you remember the interview he did after the game? He came on and scored. So they went up to him and said, uh, Colo, uh, what did Arsene say to you before you went on? <laughs> and uh, boss told me to run. So, <laughs> so Colo, run. And that was it. <laughs> and that, that's what he, I remember a canoe going on at Chelsea when we were 2 0 down and he scored the yes, hat trick. Yes. The boss just, Arsene said to him, get the ball. And that was it, yeah. get the ball. Because he knew if we got the ball to him, he could turn the game. And that's what those players were like. So what's the difference between George Graham and, and, and that? Was he more of a disciplinarian? Yes. Yeah. Yes. The impression and, and, I get is that he, the players were terrified of him. I would, <laughs> I, no, I wouldn't say terrified, uh, respectful. Right. Um, I mean, I, so George started in the summer of 86. I come on board in September of that year. And they were the days of Graham Ricks, Tony Woodcock, Charlie Nicholas, um, Viv Anderson, Kenny Sampson. And it was quite clear that George was going to be moving those players on very quickly. And it happened very quickly in the first couple of years. And what George brought in were players that had great hunger, were great athletes, but also great passion for the game, winners. Mm. He wanted winners in Mm. the team. And uh, as I said, he also brought through a lot of players through the academy. So... Dave Rowcastle, Michael Thomas, Noel Quinn, Kevin Campbell, Martin Hayes. Um, and then he added to people like Lee Dixon, Nigel Winterburn, Boldy, Perry Groves. Um, and, uh, God, he bought that, well, didn't he? Yeah and, yeah, and for next to nothing. For nothing, yeah. yeah next Perry Groves to was like nothing. 60 grand, wasn't yeah, he? I remember yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, but he built a team that would fight for each other. And that, that team bonding started pre-season. And... Pre-seasons were hard. I mean, really? they were really hard. They were old-school pre-seasons um, where we did a lot of running around Trent Park in North London mm-hmm. and um, the first week we'd be running every day. Uh, hill runs, gym work, not a lot of football work. Yeah. Um, and then we'd often go to Sweden or Scandinavia and do our pre-season training. And then it was... But everybody knew their jobs, that we played a 4 4 Occasionally changed it to a back three, as he did at Anfield in 89. Mm. Um, but everyone knew their jobs. But the biggest thing for it, he had a group of players that self-policed. Mm. So if one of them wasn't doing it, the other one would have him around the throat in the tunnel. And they, they felt they that being as well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which in many ways, you know, we, we, we rightly eulogise Wenger, but... Actually, that Graham era is probably as responsible for the modern DNA yeah. of, of, the, of the club now. Oh, completely, yeah. yeah. I feel that way, yeah. But I, I was, the number of leaders, we talk about leaders, there was a bit, became a bit of a cliche, didn't it? But Adams, Bowl, <coughs> Dixon. Oh, we had a team of them. Yeah. 
Yeah, the team of them. I mean, they were... And, uh, yeah, when you went away with them, you knew you had a team of them well because they stuck together. I mean, they were, they were a unit. You spoke about, you know, the, the loyalty the players had to George Graham and then we'll come on to Arsenal, I'm sure. I'm just intrigued by that year in the middle with Bruce Rioch. Was that... How do you look back at that, that year? I mean, that was... For, for me, I, I actually look back at it with a great deal of... Not pleasure is the right word, but that's the time when Glenn Hoddle invited me to be the England physio. And it was Bruce that pulled me in the office and said, we've had a phone call from the FA. They would like you to work with the England team. And I thought, oh, here we go. He's going to say, I can't do it. And he went, what can we do to make you do this great honour? Oh, that's good. And he was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And that's the time when they allowed me to bring another physio in because at the time I was working on my own. And um, so the club allowed me to bring another physio on board as a number two, which freed me up to go away with England and start doing my England. So I, I, I've got a lot of um, pleasure as a word, thanks for Bruce for what he did. Now, regarding the team, that was a big transitional year for the club. One, two, two things that the club forget. It was Bruce that brought Dennis Burkham oh, and yeah. David Platten. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, to me, those were the two catalysts that started the change in the club mm. that then Arson took to another level. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I, I would say we went from a culture of matches are everything, training second. As long as you performed on the Saturday, yes, you train hard, but hey, the matches are the important thing. Whereas Arson brought a culture in that training is as important as the games. We train the way we play. And if you're not training, you're not going to play. Mm. And it was a completely cult, big culture change in the way we prepared, the way we trained, the way we ate, the way we stayed in hotels before games, the way we travelled to games. He, he, he transformed everything. Those players um, did so well to evolve, like overnight almost, surely. Oh, the, 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 first, well the, <laughs> the first season Arson come in. So I'll take it down to a level that probably Sunday morning footballers can understand. There was a big thing in the dressing room where we used to put things like jelly babies and chocolate buttons <laughs> and jelly beans because they were in the science of the 80s and 90s was quick sugar. Pasta, quick sugar. Pasta, quick sugar. We now know that's one of the worst things you could do. (laughs) Right? But the difference is everyone was doing it. Yeah. So it was a level playing field. (laughs) So when Arson come in, he did on a match day. So in the morning, they'd get up, go for a walk and do a stretching session. Then we'd have a pre-match meal. And the pre-match meal was really strict. Chicken, fish, Pasta, um, no fruit, no sugars, um, no, no desserts. Fruit. No, fruit the fruit's got sugar in it. Yeah, yeah. But you're playing football. I know. Right? <laughs> it's but, like but, it's they're, good. but they're quick sugars. Which, which so, player took it the worst? Uh, people like Tony Adams. And, oh yeah. And the, what I was coming on to was what would happen when you when your body is used to having quick sugars, and you suddenly take it away they'd be pulling the wallpaper off the wall because you're craving chocolate, you're craving sugar. And it took them a few months to get used to it. What did they have instead? uh, Dried fruit. Um, But again, the science behind it is you shouldn't have too much in your stomach before you play anyway Mm. because all your blood goes to your muscles and away from your stomach. So he completely... And water. I mean, if you ever saw a player with a bottle of water, you would laugh at them. (laughs) <laughs> but under arson, if he didn't have a bottle of water, he would be on your back. Why aren't you drinking? Sip, sip, sip. Water is what some of the expressions we use. Water is life. The quicker you drink it, the quicker you pee it. Sip it. And constantly sip it. Sip it. Wow. Non-stop. Sip it. And it was a transformation. Um, and when we trained on a daily basis, he, he, you would train, you'd warm up, and then you'd do a lot of... But everything was with a ball. That was the other big thing that hit everyone pre-season. First day pre-season, balls come out. And I don't mean smashing balls, but instead of running up and down, you'd be running up and down dribbling the ball. Because mm-hmm. he said, well, they're the tools of your trade. Why wouldn't you use them? Makes so much sense. When you think yeah, yeah. And, uh, and it, 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 it revolutionised the way people... I mean, the sort of stuff that's taken for granted in all clubs now, in, in 95, 96... Now, coming back to Bruce... Mm. That evolution, even though Bruce was a bit of an old school manager, he, w- he wasn't dissimilar to, to George Graham. Um, 
we had Dennis Burkamp and David Platt who'd been working in Italy where these yeah. things were normal. Mm. And um, so it was Bruce that got those guys over. Yeah. So he started that. And unfortunately, it didn't, didn't work out and he left after the first year. Um, it wasn't a bad year, though, was it? We fifth, I think we come fifth in no, the, the league. The last day of a season, we'd be yeah. Bolton. Yeah. yeah, I think we come fifth. Um, fifth. But um, it, they, they were expecting a bit more, mm. uh, I think, as a club. But I, I also think... Um, I, I, don't, I don't know why, really. I, it was never explained to us. The only thing I would say, and again, I'm going to his memorial service on Thursday, the, the old chairman, Peter Hillwood... Mm. This is this is the sign of class of the club. The chairman had a saying, and when I first started working at the club, um, George introduced me to the chairman, um, who I'd met once before because I went to his, his father's funeral because I was a player then, and uh, and he said, Gary, this is a very simple club. The directors direct, the manager manages, the the workers work, and the players play, and that's the way we like it. Didn't think no more of it. So when George Graham left, the day that they, they sacked George and the day they sacked Bruce, the chairman phoned all the first-team staff, which in those days was only four or five people, mm-hmm. to tell them, before it goes public, we feel that you need to know that we are terminating the contract of George Graham or Bruce Rioch because we think it's only right that you're the ones that we're going to lean on to keep the club going that you should know first. And it was that little touch of class that the club always had that I, I personally think stands them out above a lot of other clubs. Yeah. Mm. Always makes me feel warm in the heart. Yeah, it? definitely, yeah. Did, did the atmosphere in the, in the dressing room change much between um, George and, and Arsene? Was that... Or was it... Was there... Was there well, a... I mean, George left, don't forget, I think it was 93, 90... No, sorry, 94, 95 season mm. because we'd won the Cup Winners' Cup in 94... And then George left halfway the season going into the 95 when we lost the final. Yeah, to Zaragoza. Yeah. Um, so, and again, it, there was obviously the scandal, stroke, mm. the, the unpleasant circumstances yeah. that George left that yeah. did get into the dressing room and the players. The uncertainty always changes dressing rooms. And if a manager goes, it, it always made players um, nervy. Mm. Um Especially in those days when there wasn't what you now regard as having player power. There wasn't no such thing as those days. And so the players didn't know if a new manager come in, would he bring different players in? Would they change? Would they have a new contract? So it, it, people didn't really talk about it a great deal, but you could sense there was that nervousness around the dressing room. Then Bruce come on board, um, had a few run-ins with different players. I think it's been well documented over the years. Um, and... I'm not sure he ever really settled into the job. I don't think you can in 11 months. Yeah. Mm. And um, you could argue he wasn't given time to, or you could argue people upstairs felt this isn't the direction that Arsenal want to go. Very rare for us as a club as well. Isn't it? Oh, very, very unusual. They're very loyal to, 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 to management and coaching staff. So, and then, but Bruce's exit was, was a big surprise. We were out in Italy in a pre-season tournament. I think we played Fiorentina. Mm. And uh, then the news broke when we come back that Bruce was leaving. And then obviously the news broke that Arsene was coming on board. What did you think? Remember the Arsene who and all that people, you know? Yeah, I mean, what the club, again, the club, as they do, behind closed doors, they actually arranged for Arsene to speak to all of us on the phone when he was appointed, for him to give us the background. And when he came in to visit the club, because he was out in Japan at that time, he came over to do some personal interviews with everyone. He'd done his homework. He knew about my history. He knew about me being an ex-player. He'd done his homework. He, he knew Pat Rice. He, 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 he knew everybody in the club and what their role was and what, and basically would say to us, I really want you to carry on doing the work you're doing. And with me, he said, I know you work with the England team. That's a great honour for us as a club and for you. He was also very friendly with Glenn from the Monaco yeah, days. Yeah. So, um, so basically he'd walk in and gave that instant reassurance and you knew this guy's got class yeah. straight away and, and that's so important to hit the ground running would, would he lean on you in those early I mean he needed people who knew the club inside out around him yeah I mean definitely and, and what you've got to remember is the staff in those days was really small yeah. I mean it was only a, he had a core of I mean Borrow Primerac came in with him and yeah. as his right hand man and his confidant and um, Borrow was uh, again 
he was a replica of us and he was a lovely man, well-mannered man, didn't have a bad word saying against anyone. Um, but he was the, the eyes and ears. He would sense the feeling in the dressing room. He would watch the games from upstairs. Um, I mean, that was another one of the weirdest things we Blackburn away was our first game. Uh, I think we won 2-0. I think John Hartson scored, if I remember rightly. Um, but I think we were winning 1-0 at half-time and we were playing terrible. <laughs> and we came in at half-time and all the lads sat down and we stood there. So you're waiting for, for the gaffer to come in and go like George Graham would or Bruce Riot would. Bang! And hit you with the old hair dryer, as I used to say. Harson would go away, we borrow, get a cup of coffee, talk quietly, leave the lads to do whatever they had to do. Then he'd come in and he'd make three or four points. Things like, full-backs, you're too deep, I want you pushed on, or I want the balls put into the channel, or John, I want you to play on the last defender. And it would be three or four points, no more. And it would be, come on, we can do this, let's go. And the lads would look around at each other to say, well, is that it? But they'd go out, but they would know their jobs. Yeah. Right. And, and, and again, that's something they got used to. Um, very rarely did he ever lose his temper with the team when I was there. I'm just intrigued, we've talked about the managers, but from a physio point of view, 22 years, there must be some individual moments where you must be called into action that stick out more than most. I mean, just us as fans, you know, we think of... Eduardo, you know, there's yeah. a situation I think with Roadcastle yeah. in 89. Yeah, da- uh, David was at Millwall. Um, he was knocked unconscious. Um, I got a lot of stick for the John Terry one. That, yeah. The Millennium <laughs> Stadium. But you had to help you, John you Terry. Was John Terry. Yeah, yeah. But um, I was behind the goal. Again, what people don't remember was, I think either some coins or something had been thrown at Almunia. Oh. And the referee called me on to check that he was okay. They had a corner. So I was kneeling behind the goal, having checked out goalkeeper. Yeah. Of course, then I saw um, um, Jay, uh, John was, was out cold from um, the kick. From DR, from, Yeah, from Abu. And, um, and so you, you just instinctively go on, you don't even think about it. Yeah. Um, the Eduardo one was probably the worst one I saw. My, and again, Arsenal fans might remember this, but my first team debut when I went full-time, I covered a few games when I was a reserve team physio. My first team debut as a full-time physio was uh, Nottingham Forest away. And Charlie Nicholas had a, a, a laceration to his knee that needed 32 stitches. We had to take him to Nottingham Hospital to get him stitched up. That was a nasty one. But just on the, on the Eduardo one, it just comes to mind. Was that... At that point, you must... Are you thinking this guy is worth X million... Arsenal no. could lose an... Like, no, you don't, you don't think like that. You, you, but it's not, you, no more pressure, like... It's like anyone... In, 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 in the, the jobs they do, whether you're an ambulance man, whether you're a doctor, whether you're a TV presenter, mm. you're put under pressure and what you do, you go into autopilot. You do what you're trained to do. And I think that's why you last because in the heat of the moment, you go back to basics. So when, um, obviously we knew with Eduardo it was a, a bad one and as I'm getting near him, you could see that it was a, an open fracture. And you called Gilberto over? Is yeah, that right? Yeah, because what basically, one thing I learned with foreign players coming into the game was when they're hurt or injured, they go into their native tongue. So the first thing I did was get Gilberto to go head end and reassure Eduardo that we were looking after him. But also for Eduardo to give us information, my Brazilian or Portuguese is not best <laughs> apart from ordering a lager and a portion of chips on holiday and uh, so it, it works that Gilberto was the, almost a translator the calming influence mm. on Eduardo whilst we dealt with the injury and you had to presumably be incredibly delicate in, in the situation yeah I mean when you're in that situation um, in medicine we call them two types you have a life threatening injury which the John Terry one was yep. or the David Rowcastle one was um, and you have a limb-threatening injury, which is what Eduardo was, because if the blood flow to the limb is not maintained, they can lose their limb. Now, when you get the fractured dislocations that Eduardo had that was open, the first thing you do is you're trying to realign them to straighten it so the blood flow and the nerves to the area are maintained. If you can do that, then basically you're preventing a, a limb-threatening injury occurring. So what you do is you do that. Once you get it in an alignment, you then immobilise and get them off. I remember on the day when we, we, 
we, you always reflect back and review everything you do. And on reflection, we got him off the pitch, immobilised and in the ambulance within eight minutes. He was in hospital within 45 having surgery. Now, that all adds up to him having his leg saved and his career saved. Yeah. So it's not one single thing that does it. It's just being in the right place at the right time with the right people and the right pathway into the emergency setting that you, you can actually do that. When it's someone like the Rokos, I think, when you, you're saving his life, aren't you? I mean, that's... Well, yeah, I mean, the, the headlines that go around, and it's, it's something that, as medical people, we try to put to bed. Sure. You can't swallow your tongue. Right. But the headlines are, Rocky swallows his tongue. What happens is, when you're unconscious, your tongue is a muscle. As a muscle, and you're unconscious, it relaxes. So it falls into the back of your, your throat. So it blocks your airway. So what you're trained to do, and you often see physios do it or doctors do it, is we call it a mills position. So you put your hands on either side of the head to protect the neck and you do a jaw thrust. And if you just pull the jaw forward, it opens up the jaw and the tongue flips forward and it opens up the airway. That's what we did with Rocky and that's what we did with John Terry. As soon as you do that, the airway opens, the oxygen comes back. Both times, when, by the time I got onto them, um, their eyes had rolled and their lips were starting to go blue because there was no oxygen going in. You do that manoeuvre, um, it opens up the airway. Just to, uh, as they lay? Yeah. Yeah. Just so on the side? Yeah, either on the side or if they're on their back, on their back. Yeah. And obviously, no. you, it's so, for you, it's your job, as you said, totally professional things, but for, what, what about for them? Like, did they feel, a, did they feel a, an emotional connection um, to you? Anyway? Afterwards, yes, yeah. obviously, because th- th- at the time they don't know what's going on. But I mean, afterwards, yeah. I, I mean, mean I, I, I have got a lovely shirt signed by John at home, nice. which he puts a lovely thank you message, but can't resist the temptation <laughs> to put, uh, but we still beat you 2-1. <laughs> so that, that, that's at home, hanging up on the that's wall. Amazing. But uh, yeah, I mean, they, they remember yeah. that. I, I remember Eduardo going to see him. I had left Arsenal when he made his comeback in the reserves right. at Barnet, and I went back that night to watch his first game and so I went down to see him after the game and he burst into tears so um, it was yeah you get you become a family Mm, you really become a family can I just ask two questions just because I imagine we're running out of time aren't we a little bit do you think the way um, players are treated on the pitch or they have to get off the pitch I mean it just seems like there's so much gamesmanship that goes on now do you think there's any rule change that can eradicate that i.e. You guys just, like in rugby, you guys just go onto the pitch and treat there. How long we got? <laughs> yeah. Well, what were the headlines being for you? Um, to, to make the we game try, better. We tried to get uh, a blood bin brought in place in the mid-2000s. Meaning? If a player gets a cut, yeah. you know they have to leave the field of play. Yeah. And you would have all seen the famous pictures of one of the World Cups, the Dutch doctor. His hand was shaking right. while he's trying to stitch the guy up. We had it with Paul Ince, mm-hmm. 97 in Italy. Yeah when the Italians mysteriously lost the key to the medical room so we couldn't do the stitching. It took us eight minutes. Um, we tried to bring a rule in that um, it was called a blood bin. So you can put a sub on while you stitch someone. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, it was at the same time that Bloodgate occurred in rugby. Right. So FIFA threw it out. Mm, yeah. So that's one. We've campaigned recently to have a concussion bin. A bit like they do in rugby where you can take a player off and assess them for concussion. Now, unfortunately, in a medical world, you would have people that would honestly do it, take a player off, put a centre-half on for a centre-half, centre-forward on for a centre-forward, and do it in the right way. Mm. Unfortunately, the belief would be that you're losing 1-0 with the last five minutes. You've used all three subs suddenly your centre-half is going to go down with a, a suspected concussion, that means you can throw another centre-forward on the pitch mm. and it can affect the game. So until the game, the rules of the game change enough to take away that perception of what will go on, that won't happen. Yeah. The only thing I would say personally, one rule that I think they could do is that you have a goalkeeper sub that is separate to everybody else and you can change the goalkeeper any time of the game. So if a goalkeeper gets a serious injury or concussion, you can make the sub-goalkeeper. Yeah, makes sense. And that would fit into the rules as they are at the moment. For physio, I, I, I've got three questions now, sorry. But, uh, <laughs> so many questions, that, there? Do you think that <clears throat> what frustrates me is that uh, when I watch football is that, and, being, and I used to play rugby, and I, yeah. you know, so I, rugby's always, so I've always kind of come at football 
I guess with a slightly different perspective. I've always loved, you know, I've been an yeah. Arsenal fan since I was a kid, but, and, you know, but my loyalty is like 50-50 rugby football. And I always, some of the lack of physicality in football really frustrates yeah. me. And the, it seems to me like defenders are, it, it's getting harder and harder to be a, to, to, to be a defender, especially in the box. Yeah. And it almost feels like the rules need to change, that defenders, defenders are given the benefit of the doubt and you can only go down, like, you, the minimal contact going down we're, frustrates we're, the hell out of We're me. losing the art of defending yeah. there, aren't we? Because, and again, and again, it's a frustration, again, as a fan I have, it's a contact sport. And we analyse it and then like, oh, there was contact there. Mm. Oh, they're right to go down. Mm. Was the contact enough to make them go exactly. down? And it's a fine line. But when you're travelling at the speed they're travelling, the slightest amount of contact can be enough to make them go down. Which is fine. For me, and, it's, and, it's, the, but, it's the simulation but, that drives but, me. Yeah, it, 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 but it's very difficult to, to actually put that into the perception or the um, interpretation of the rules. Now, but not impossible. Not impossible, and I think that's something that they need to look at. Um, I'm not sure whether VAR is going to help that or make it worse, because when you slow things down, it doesn't always help. Mm. Mm. From a physio point of view, one of the frustrations I had was this thing about when the physio goes on, the player has to leave the field of play. Yes. Because it was brought in to stop time-wasting. But for me, as a physio, all I do now is I call the stretcher, if I, whether I need it or I don't need it. I say now. If I'm still working in football, yeah. I do it. Um, because you're buying yourself time. Because, again, what most fans don't understand is, as a person, if you go to your doctor and your doctor spends 45 seconds assessing you and then walks you out of the surgery, you would laugh. <laughs> <laughs> but as a physio going onto a football pitch, yeah. unless it's a head injury... On average, we've got 45 seconds to make an assessment. Right. That is ridiculous. Yeah. So we're called on. And again, the other thing that infuriates me, if two players go down from opposing teams, why do they both have to leave the field? Yeah. Just leave as it is. Yeah, yeah that's true. It's <laughs> what I call common sense rules. Yeah. Or if, and again, again, this is where it's different in England or in the Premier League to Europe, they brought the rule out that if you're getting, your opponent is being booked for offence against you, you're allowed to have treatment and you stay on the pitch. Right. So when you play in Europe, uh-huh. you're allowed to stay on. The Premier League decided that if you're not up before they book the opponent, you have to leave the field of play. So you're, for me, you're being punished twice. Yeah. Yeah. You're being offended against. <laughs> That's ridiculous. And you're down to 10 men yes. while the game's going on. Yeah. Mm. It can't, it's not yeah, right. That's so they, they, what was your right? Yeah. My last question. Yeah. And this is kind of, sorry, just kind of off the back of the Chelsea game last week. That I didn't see, I saw the highlights <coughs> of, and then I, I, but I heard 606. And uh, they had a Chelsea fan on complaining about Sari, and uh, largely because Hazard and Kante didn't play uh, from the start of the game. Do you think the whole burnout thing now, I don't know if more games are played now with footballers um, than, than 20 years ago for you. Uh, and do you think it's a thing, or do you think that. Um, Players to play too much football, or um, yeah, is, yeah, is burnout real? What I would say is, from a medical perspective, is twenty years ago, thirty years ago, when I first started, it was a level playing field. Everybody played Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, mm-hmm. Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday. Yeah. International weeks were on a Wednesday night. Everyone come back and played on a Saturday. So you're playing like for like in football nowadays. Teams play completely different days. Mm -hmm. And so you can have a team that could play Sunday, Wednesday, Saturday, playing against teams that haven't had a game for 10 days. International players that go away, they could be travelling halfway around the world Mm. before they come back. They could have played two 90-minute games. The sports science now is that we analyse players when they come back. So we do all the sports science tests on them. The physicality, blood tests, sleep Everything you could dream of. So these decisions won't be made lightly. Yeah. And managers won't give, be privy to give all this information out because you're giving it to the opposition as well. So they will make decisions based on what games we've got coming up, what that player has just done. Um, you can't always rest players, but if you get the opportunity to, you will do it. Now, on Sunday, I completely understand where he was coming from. Mm-hmm. But the way the game went, it backfired. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they still won the game in the end, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but it, it fuels 
the ammunition mm. for the fans yeah, to have sure. a go at him. But I can see why he did it mm. because they've now got more games coming up in a short space oh, of time. Um, and you can see why, why, why he does it. But to answer your question, I don't think they play more games. It's a scientific fact the games are quicker, they're faster, they're running more distances, they're doing more sprints than ever before. Um, and that does take its toll. And from a physio's point of view, would you rather a player came on and did 30 minutes, uh, let's say Hazard, come on, play 60 minutes, let's say, and take him off? Or would you... Well, it's a calculated would, risk. Physically, what you're, it's a what you're hoping for is that the pace of the game is dropped in the last 30 minutes. Uh-huh. Unfortunately, when you're chasing the game, it doesn't. Yeah. Mm. So in the circumstances on Sunday, it probably would have backfired a little bit. Yeah. But what you would like to think is they're going into that last 30 minutes in a strong position mm. so those guys can come on and do 30 minutes at the pace they want. Yeah. I've got one final question because I know we are short on time. Were there times when you were at Arsenal where players ahead of a cup final or a massive game would go against you? Like You, you would sort of have a discussion, manager would take a foot, they're not fit enough to play and they would argue, and would they be allowed to play in? Were you under pressure right. from players to say they are match fit? Yeah, I mean, the, the, this is where the experience of, of the job comes into place. And it's not as black and white as you all fans think it is. They think, player comes in, I'm not fit, yeah. end of story. Or the player comes in and says, I'm fit, he plays. Yeah. The first thing you're doing as a medical person, you have a duty of care to that player. Right, so if you make a bad call and put that player's health at risk, you're jeopardising your role. So the first thing you do is you make an assessment on whether that player could, shouldn't, should play. You then speak to the player because if the player doesn't think he can play, you're wasting your time. <laughs> yeah. Before you commit to the player whether he should play or not, you need to speak to the manager because he might not want to play him. <laughs> I've had it. I need him for Saturday, whatever happens. I don't care if he's on one leg, I want him to play. Or I don't care if he's fit. I don't want him, but I don't want to drop him. No. So you can get it both ways. Now, one of the funniest ones uh, 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 that I would say was 89. I'm not sure you're old enough to remember 89. I was two. So right, not okay. brilliantly. But he's seen the documentary. I, um, right, okay. we, we remember. I spent well, enough time with Perry just, and Nigel to uh, hear about it. I've yeah. done an interview with Amy Lawrence because she's writing a book yeah. on it at yeah. the moment. And um, we had three games left. We needed six points. So we decided to lose to Derby 2 1. <laughs> yeah. We decided to draw 2 2 with Wimbledon. Yeah. Last minute goal from Nigel Winterburn. In that game, Mickey Thomas injured his knee ligament. We had 10 days to get him fit for that final game on the Friday. He was having round-the-clock treatment. He was having so much treatment, he was radioactive. (laughs) The day before the game, I took him for a fitness test and I said to George Graham, he's fit enough to start, but I don't think he'll finish. (laughs) Because if he gets a block tackle on that knee, it's not strong enough to hold up. What the bloody hell do I know? He scored the winning goal in the second minute. So that sums up the question you're asking. He was desperate to play. The manager was desperate for him to play. There was a calculated risk from a medical point of view that I had to tell the manager mm-hmm. and I had to tell the player. But the consensus was it was a risk worth taking. And as it turned out, it turned out well. Thank God. But yeah. I could name another <laughs> so ten, which I won't. Had yeah. you insisted that he yeah. wasn't fit enough? No, I didn't pick yeah. him. I didn't pick him. Yeah, but you were... I've got another key. ten where it's gone the other way. Well, it's just and those you, memories of that 89... I mean, crying that, that night. Yeah. Uh, two or three memories I got that night were um, crying on the side of the pitch after we'd won it, and I phoned home to my missus, and I was so emotional. Yeah. Um, um, getting back, dropping the lads off at the pub in Southgate. I can never remember the name of it, but there was a party going on. There's some great pictures on YouTube of the yeah. lads getting off the bus. <laughs> going back to Highbury, because I used to go back with the kit man and unload the kit. We got back about three or four o'clock in the morning. And there was a 1,000 people doing a street party. It took us an hour to get down Havenal Road from the top of the slope. <laughs> and they were banging on the side of the coach. And, and then we unloaded the kit and I got him about half past seven. Wow. But, um, yeah, it was just a... Uh, what a so was, we have run out of time. So my final question, is that your greatest memory? of like, what, is your, what would be your greatest <laughs> memory? I've been so, so lucky to have some great memories. I don't think you're ever going to be 89. Yeah. I don't care what anyone says. I don't think you're ever going to be 89. But 
Palmer Cup Winners Cup final mm-hmm. was special. Doing the cup double in 93 mm-hmm. was special. Yeah, yeah. When Andy Linnigan with a broken nose and a broken finger <laughs> scored the winning goal. All <laughs> yes. Um, uh, Champions League final, although we lost it, was a great occasion. Um, doing the double for the first time in my lifetime in 98. Um, Invincible, I could go on. Invincibles was just brilliant. Mm. Invincibles would be very quick. Invincibles, we won the league. We, I think, we had four games left. We went down to Portsmouth, got absolutely battered, and we nicked a draw. Yeah. Uh, we played Birmingham at home. We were awful. We were still in the pub. Drew nil nil. We didn't deserve a nil, but we nicked a nil nil. <laughs> and then I think the last game of the season, um, we won two one. I think, and we went one, the, yeah, went yeah, one nil down. One nil yeah. down. And uh, we just scraped the invincible season. But at the time, because we'd won the league, everyone went... Phew. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. But nobody realised to go a whole season unbeaten, what yeah, an achievement yeah. it was. Yeah. And I'll be honest, I still don't think they've ever been given the credit for it since. No, we'll give them credit on a weekly basis. We could have we yeah, gone on we're for talking all night. Thanks so much, yeah. Gary. Yeah, it's no, been, it's been a pleasure. Thank, thank you for inviting me. And today, we've even got, we haven't even done the prediction for, for the game. We've run out of time so much. I'm saying we're going to draw, though, I think, against I Everton. Everton we're going to draw. Yeah. And you want to do a last yeah, minute prediction? You win, Gary. Three one. Oh, excellent! I like it. Oh, good. I'm being pessimistic. Good ground for us. Good Thanks for so much for coming out. Thanks, Dermot. Oh, pleasure. It's been no, great. pleasure. It's, it's been great. Thank you. We'll be back next week. Cheers. Bye. Footballistically, Arsenal is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. This is a playback media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.